Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of It's All About the Questions. It's so exciting to be here with you. And if you're listening to us on the podcast, welcome. It's always exciting to um, to see where people are listening in from both live and on the podcast. And I know we have listeners in over 60 countries at this point. And um, we're going live on Spotify as they had requested um, my podcast for Spotify on their new podcast platform. So I'm excited to see what that is going to do and how many other people will be listening from that. I love hearing from you. Can be reached on Facebook at I am Laura Stewart or on Twitter at the Laura Stewart. So reach out because there is nothing better from hearing from you and hearing the new questions you're asking or what those new questions have have done for you and and how you've moved forward in your life, your business, any aspect, your health, whatever it may be. Because that's what this show is all about, helping you discover new perspectives through asking different questions. In some cases, it's me asking the questions of my guests. And I always have fun when they go, oh, nobody's ever asked me that before. But we are here today with um, somebody I recently met uh, a few weeks after my mom died when I got asked to speak at ISACA South Florida. And I wasn't going to go, and I just kept listening to my gut, and it was, you need to be there. And, of course, I broke down on stage when I was talking, doing my keynote, talking about my mom and some other things. And a really bright spot to that event was meeting Dr. Stephanie Carter. She is one of those lights in the world that she opens her mouth and you just start shifting your perspectives. She asks really great questions. She's a fantastic listener. Um, and her heart is is just so beautiful that I wanted to share um, her with you because she is tops in cybersecurity and in a lot of other aspects as well. She teaches uh, graduate-led programs. She currently is working with the Department of Justice running a team of cybersecurity professionals. She's worked at the Department of Homeland Defense. She has more certifications and graduate degrees then I could list here today. They'll be up on my website. And we're going to be talking cybersecurity. We're going to be talking all sorts of different kinds of things. But I want to, um, Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Laura. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited today. Yeah, you know, it's when you meet certain people, you just know that there's a reason <laughs> yes. for it, right? <laughs> yes, yes. And you were speak you. Uh, you opened the ISACA event, and I'll never forget when um, Tangy Frederick um, asked a, a question, and she said that she she's a programming student uh, in college right now, and she wanted to find out how to get into cybersecurity, and you on stage said, well, you are in cybersecurity, and I yes. remember, and I just got him again, chills and goosebumps at that perspective that the programmer is or is in cybersecurity but the fact that she asked that question which was such a beautiful question really put out there that people don't realize that cybersecurity is not a perimeter defense it's not a reactive defense it should be right. it should be something we're, we're thinking about from moment 1 how did you come to that realization and and 
get started wanting to promote that message? Well, it started in my military career, so I did serve in the U.S. Army for 20 years. And thank you for your service. And thank you. Within the Army, um, teamwork is promoted. So one person is not more important than the next person, despite the various jobs that you might have. So when we shift to cybersecurity, then, you know, in the news we hear about breaches, we hear about um, compromises, we hear about networks going down, we hear about just all bad stuff. So then we do hear about the uh, computer emergency response teams that come in, the forensic scientists that come in, but we never hear about those jobs that's on the front line that actually are working to protect us to include those programmers, to include those engineers, to include those help desk personnel. And every time I speak to junior professionals, they always say, I want to be cybersecurity. And I ask them, well, what do you currently do? Well, I'm just an administrator. Well, I'm just a programmer. And it baffles me, and it, it also saddens me that the, the, the gap that we're trying to fill between the cybersecurity jobs that are open and the professionals that need to fill these jobs, I think the disconnect is the definition of what cybersecurity is because most of the time is viewed as only an IT function, is never viewed as a business function, which it is, and it's only viewed as those jobs that are in the front, like the emergency response team or the forensic scientists or, you know, the IT engineers or whoever that is. But for cybersecurity, we all protect the confidentiality, integrity, and availability of the data. And we do it at different various um, levels and different various ways. So if the programmer did not code the program the correct way, it would create vulnerabilities. But a programmer knows to do certain code, knows to do certain checks, knows to do input validation, and all of these metrics that we have to protect. So then they're performing cybersecurity every time they do their job. Back in the day when I learned programming, because I have a degree in computer science from the early 80s, <laughs> you know, everything was done on mainframes. Nobody talked about open source code. Everything was pretty much created and very proprietary kind of code. Right. Do you think that the advent of open source coding has created an environment where it's we've become way more vulnerable? Yes. Now, I absolutely agree with that. And when we take it to the next level, so everything was proprietary back then. Now it's open source. Everybody has access to everything. So then we also look at different avenues like 
people used to get up and read the newspaper, but you don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> you can Google whatever you want. People used to actually watch the weather on the news channel, but they don't do that anymore because you have all these mobile devices, you have Internet of Things, and you have all this accessibility to so much stuff. So when we talk about big data, when we talk about data mining, then it does create more vulnerabilities because we have not caught up with how much data there is, and we have not caught up with all the different access points that there is. So when you have open source code, then anybody can contribute, anybody can use it, and when they take that code, they the malicious intenders, they can put different kind of malware in there, whereas proprietary code you had a certain level of um, protection or you had a certain level of, um, like, a, a certain level of rights. So you dictated who had access to it. But now everybody has access to it. And not just, it's not a United States thing, it's an entire world thing. All different kind of countries you know, we we have over 100 countries in this world that are all connected to the Internet of Things. So now, whereas when you were in a neighborhood and you could let your children go out in the streets, everybody could leave their doors open, in the cyber world, it was once that way, believe it or not, that you didn't have to worry about malicious intenders, but now they are the majority and not the not the minority anymore. So having stuff open source, having it, you know, at the tip of your fingers, then yes, that creates tremendous vulnerabilities that we cyber professionals have not caught up with. It's sort of like making it so much easier to write code because you can patch together right. other people's code, we've created this monster. Yes. And just using <clears throat> um, the code that we sent over to Iran, Stutniks, we sent it over there, they got it, they modified it, and they sent it right back to us. So we're not even in a world where anything cannot be found. We're not in a world where anything is proprietary and where anything cannot be touched. So when you have a world like that, then anybody can take anything and make it malicious. They can take good things and make them malicious because everybody has access to it. I I miss the world where you could leave your doors unlocked, whether they were oh, yes. literal or figurative um, doors, but we're not there anymore. No, we are definitely not there anymore. And with, you know, with the devices that we, we connect our refrigerators, our microwaves, our mobile phones, our tablets, and we kind of leave our children vulnerable because everything is with a GPS tracker. That's the only way that you can essentially find whatever device or the Internet of Things can find you 
And when we don't educate ourselves on how fiber has drastically changed, then we leave our children, ourselves, vulnerable to physical attacks, abductions, and stalking, and and all sorts of things. So it's not only just a cyber thing, like cyber bullying or cyber crimes, then it spills over into the physical world, too, when it's used as a conduit to uh, commit such atrocities. Yeah, you can find anybody as long as you can, you can track their phone even without them knowing it. Right, yes. I, I You know, I watch a lot of NCIS-like shows, and they always <laughs> they always talk about that. And the other day, uh, one of my sponsors, Sazmax, I was talking to um, one of the SAS vendors, the software-as-a-service vendors, and they have this really cool product that allows places and businesses to track where people are. So, like, restaurants, convention centers, hotels, hospitals. You can track where people congregate to know how's the flow going. How come nobody's hanging out in that part of the restaurants? Let's look at why we have more activity, like, in the bar versus the front tables or or whatever. And, you know, data mining, it's, it's gathering great information. They track it through the unique identifier on people's cell phones and everybody's got a cell phone or some other device on them that's always broadcasting a signal. I I love it from a business standpoint of understanding your flow so you can help improve things in the hospital and the, the convention centers, you know, like if this one coffee stand at the convention center is always swamped, but there's three others where there's nobody there, understand why that is, and also staff up the other one more so that you can you can better serve your customers. Yes. But how has that, I mean, how can we protect ourselves with all of that um, and say to ourselves, there's, it's okay that the phone's doing it, but we've protected ourselves? So that is a very good question. And I am so glad that somebody is asking it. So when we talk about ourselves, when we go to, so then you use the example of the businesses, they use this to get trim analysis, and that's good for them. When we go to certain places, we don't always have to have our GPS on. Um, on the social media site, and especially Facebook, they have where to track your location. So it tracks everywhere you go within a day. And everybody that is your friend and friends of friends, depending on your settings, can see everywhere you go. And that is very dangerous if someone is intending to do something to you. So the one thing that kills us all is convenience. And the laziness that this Internet of Things have produced for us, the desocialization that it has produced. So going back to convenience, everything is about convenience. Give me a cell phone. Let me take it out the box. I don't really want to do too much with it. I just want to turn it on, make my call, text, download my social media, and go on with my life. More times than not, 
people will take devices out of the box and they will not look at the settings. They will not change the settings. They don't even know how to find the settings. And that is very concerning. And that is the first, I feel, well, the first avenue of defense is education. First, we have to know that this is a problem. First, we have to know that this wide openness and this freedom and this information at the touch of your finger, that it can be used for bad things. The older generation, even myself, I did grow up with doors unlocked. I did grow up with just walking down the street. Nobody bothered you. And so sometimes we're fixed in that mentality, but we have to come over to where we are right now because the two worlds are very different. So the first thing is education. The second thing is that we need to use the inherent tools of these devices or these uh, components or whatever that we have um, to know what type of privacy settings we can put in there, what kind of configuration settings we can put in there. And, for instance, um, the router that I have at my house. Now, for most routers, if you type the IP address 127.1.0, you could get to your router, username, password. And what I do is configure my router to only accept different MAC addresses, which is your media access card that's on your devices, so that when anyone comes to my house or near my house, the only people that can access that router are the people that I have authorized. And that's important because your router, when you go to 127.1.1.0, then it prompts you for a username password. Now, if you don't know that, and when someone pulls up next to your house, they can access your router by going to that IP address, pull it up, create a username for themselves and a password, and then they can do whatever they want to with your router. They have access to the Internet. They can infect your um, home network, and you won't know the difference because the only thing that you want to do is connect to the Internet. And with that, we're going to go to our first um, commercial break. We'll be right back with more from Dr. Stephanie Carter. Stephanie, you were talking about locking down your router to prevent people from connecting into it, from driving by your your neighborhood and and stuff. For the average person, that's not something simple and easy for them to do. Changing the password, I mean, is the biggest thing. I, I can't tell you how many times, and I know you know this from experience, when I'd go into a client when I had my tech company, and they'd have some router in there, and you know they they hand me what they think is the password, and it doesn't work. And I go, all right, well, I'm just going to try the default password. And on Cisco routers, it was admin admin, so, you know, admin username, admin password. And I'd be right in, and I'm like, who handled your network before we walked in the door? <laughs> These are people dealing with financial transactions and all this other stuff, and and you know they've got the default passwords. 
So if somebody is is a little afraid to do the MAC address locking and stuff like that, we have a lot of technical listeners on the show, but we also have some non-technical entrepreneurs and, and things like that. Is that enough? Is there more that they need to be thinking about doing? Yes. So one of the key things that we can do is, so is, um, pretty hard for mobile phones, but we do have different apps. And this is speaking from the parent to the child. Stephanie, all of a sudden you're sounding kind of hollow and echoey. Did you move somewhere or change something? Um, let me adjust this room right quick. Okay. Everybody, this is live radio. Um, if you're listening on the podcast, it's not live, but we do this on live radio, so you never know what will happen with Telco. Are you there? Okay, Stephanie is, is moving things around. I'm sorry, is That's that okay. better? That, okay, go ahead. Yes, yeah, so when we talk about parent to the child, then we do have safe apps where you can lock down different features of your phone to keep them from downloading stuff. When we talk about our home network, when we create passwords, we create passwords because we want to remember them. We don't want a lot of passwords. So it's usually our child's name, our dog's name, our street name. Birthday, anniversary. I mean, just everything. <laughs> the year we were born. And so we can start with, if you're non-technical, then create a password or use a passphrase. The sky is blue. Change some of the uh, letters that look like numbers, two numbers, or special characters, or things like that, and you can remember a passphrase. Or you could, and everybody telling you not to write passwords down, but you could write the password down and keep it in a safe place within your home. Unless a burglar breaks into your home, then they can't get your passwords that you've written down. If you don't write them down on your phone, on the notepad on your phone, you don't write them down on the computer, on a Word document, but on a piece of paper and keep that in a safe, secure place within your home. The next thing that you can do besides the passwords is, um, and this is one thing that I do with my child. Oh, and we're, and we're going to hold that for after the national news. I'm going to tease everybody um, about the one thing you need to make sure you're doing and that <laughs> okay. Stephanie does with with her child. Um, we'll, we'll be right back with more from Dr. Stephanie Carter, cybersecurity specialist. Welcome back, everyone. We are here with Dr. Stephanie Carter, cybersecurity specialist. And we are talking all things cyber from somebody that has worked with the Department of Homeland Defense, the Defense Intelligence Agency, the USERT team, US CERT team, the DEA, the Department of Justice. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. She's got more certifications and, and doctorates and graduate degrees than <laughs> I, I just don't even know how, Stephanie, you had enough time to get all of these and still achieve everything that you have achieved in, in your lifetime. Before the national news break, we were talking about some things that people can do that are technical and for people that are not technical. And you said there is one thing that they should do. Did yes. You? So for my child, I have one child at home and I have a 22-year-old out on his own. But when he was at home, 
then any time that I purchase devices for them, laptop, tablet, whatever it was, if there was an option, which on the tablets and the laptops, if there was an option for an admin account, that account was mine, even though it was their primary device. So when you take the laptop out of the box, the first account that is created is an admin account. Now, most people, whether this is to a child or not, most adult people, when they take the laptop out of the box, they just start using it and just keep using it. And this is one of the avenues that the threat actors will use to infect your system with malware or to steal your information from your computer because if they hack into your computer, which we can talk about later, but there's, there is no, um, there is no way or there is no sense in thinking I will never get hacked because there are two people in the world that I say the ones that are hacked and they know it and the ones that are not that are hacked and they don't know it. That is so true. <laughs> so for my child, that first account is my account and I put the most complex password on there that I can't even remember, but I do write it down and put it in a safe place in my home so that if his device is hacked, the hacker can do nothing because it's just a user account for him that he uses. I don't have to worry about him downloading open source software or free software that have Trojan horses and everything else tied to it because he can't execute any file on there unless I download it from the admin account. And when I have my own laptop, I do the same thing. I create an admin account with a super duper complex password. And the only thing that I use is my user account. So that if I'm hacked, then the hacker can do nothing. If somebody hacks your device, unless they have the permissions on that device to execute, which means to run a program or open something or even download something onto that device, they can't do it if you're in user mode. And so that is the number one thing that I do for or with the devices for my children, even for myself. But you can also go to the Internet, too. And most people don't do this either, not to the Internet. I mean the Internet Explorer, whether you have the Windows or you have Chrome or Firefox or whatever you choose to use, to every time you close out, to delete the cookies. And cookies is just a, a tab that's created every time you go to a web page. And so what the malicious intender can do is to take those cookies to see where you have gone. If the session is not closed, they can still steal your information, your bank information, your email information. So then when you see emails coming into your email account coming from you to you, which I know we all get, then... This is what they're doing. You have these cookies stored on your computer, and when you're hacked, that is the first place a hacker will go to your temporary Internet files, which are your cookies, 
to see where you have been. And this is how they send you emails that are specific to you. So when the hacker goes to my cookie file and they see, oh, she banks with Bank of America, let me send her a fake email from Bank of America with the link. And if I didn't know any better, I would click on it because it's coming from Bank of America, somebody I already trust. So if we set our Internet, which setting our Internet settings is not super technical, you just go to settings in the Internet Explorer that you're using, and then you just configure the things that you want to happen. So always have delete cookies upon exiting. But going back to the one thing that I said are killers for us is convenience. Because most people I know and the people in my cyber circle, (laughs) they set their um, Internet Explorer to remember their passwords because they just want to click on it and go to it. And what they don't, well, the cyber professionals, I hope they realize this, but what the non-technical audience don't realize is when you do that, then your username and password is being stored locally on your system, in your cookies. So when a hacker hacks in, they have a username and password right there. So... These are just some of the things that we could think about to protect ourselves, and it doesn't take you to be super technical to do that. It just takes a little bit more time, like 15 seconds, to type in your username and password every time you go to the Internet instead of putting it to remember my password. I went to order something from Panera yesterday while I was on the road, and... I remembered that I had a reward for $5 off a mobile order. And I I don't have the Panera app on my phone. I, I try to use minimal apps on my phone. And so I went to my browser and went to log in so that I could get my $5 off, you know. And I couldn't understand why it wasn't working. It just kept asking me every step of the way, you know, for my username and my password to log in. And then I realized I've been purposefully using DuckDuckGo as my mobile browser because uh-huh. it creates um, a wall and it doesn't store any cookies. It's, it doesn't, oh, doesn't do your tracking. All that stuff just it inherently in the browser isn't there. But when you're trying to do something that requires a cookie to be kept so that it could follow right. you along, <laughs> I'm like, they're, they're, software is broken what's wrong with this and then i realized oh god yeah okay so i had to go to chrome my chrome app and and i went in and i i changed it because um my search engine on my safari on the iphone is DuckDuckGo. so yeah you're you're saying it so accurately i have this exact image oh yeah okay i gotta go somewhere else because i purposefully have locked myself down (laughs) but when i didn't want to be locked i i forgot (laughs) So locking ourselves down can be inconvenient because there are some places that require cookies. You have to have cookies enabled in order to get there. Um, So we, we have to balance that out. You know, what is important and what is not important. So, and then just like for the iPhone, there is Safari, but then... To have Chrome, 
on there as the backup, then once, if you can't do it with Safari, then you have this workaround. And then with Chrome, then you're able to then go back and delete those cookies. So you have that uh, freedom there. But then you're still staying protected all at the same time. And even though it is, like, highly convenient, we're always on the go, we're always on the move, we're always whatever, then in actuality, it only takes, like, a couple of minutes. Okay. And, you know, what are our day you... will not crumble in a couple of minutes. <laughs> are, you, are you seeing that the biggest, well, the biggest hacks are, are huge ones, but the the way mo- what are what way are you seeing the most damage being done in cyber nowadays the most damage that i have seen especially working here at department of justice so human trafficking is huge now when before the internet of things you know the human trafficking cases even though they were there they were not as numerous as they are now. Um, and then we have just not with the women, but with the children too. When we have children that are, you know, abducted because they have the GPS on, because nowadays kids get out of school at 2 p.m. and all the parents are at work. When I went to school, we got out of school at 4.30 p.m., we went to school at 7.30 a.m. in the morning. Ooh, that's And we got out at 4.30 p.m. So by the time we got home, our parents are meeting us there because they're off work, but not these days. So it is convenient for the child to have a cell phone, especially if they walk home or whatever the case might be. But then it just creates these pockets of things that can happen. So for... The, the the most things that are going on in cyber. So hacks from different countries, that has been happening time immemorial. I mean, I was in the military from 1993 to 2013. And so, and I have always been in IT. So we have been hacked from, in this politically driven, you know, sometimes military driven, but we have always been hacked from different countries and things like that. So, And, and we're going to have to go to, I love this conversation, we got to go to our, our last news break. Um, we'll be right okay. back. Stephanie, you're talking about a lot, of, a lot of different things that you're seeing at the Department of Justice with human trafficking and the threats from other countries trying to hack into us. It, it can create so much fear in... Not only professionals, because you're always on edge trying to prevent another attack or respond right. to an attack that has already happened. How can we begin to turn that paranoid fear into a healthy fear, so to speak, that can move us forward while living our lives to some way? Because these criminals are asking themselves way different questions than we're asking ourselves. They're they're willing to right. put planes into twin towers. They're willing to right. put bombs in schools and, and things like that. Things we could never imagine. Is there a way for us to move to um, another way of thinking with this? 
I think there is a way that we can move forward, and don't get me wrong, the United States is open to whoever wants to come here. I, I do not look at people with respect of persons, but people that are committing crimes and terrorism and things, then I'm looking at the acts. And, and everybody can't be grouped into one group by the act of a person that looks like them. So the news reports these things, and they, they rarely report the good thing. So then we don't have that balance. So then how do we get that balance? I have, um, October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month, so I was busy, busy, busy traveling all over to speak at different conferences. And some of the conferences that I spoke at was free. So I remember a time if, if I was in my neighborhood growing up, and there was a child molester, the community would come together to make something happen because of that. But we don't do that in cyber. We have free uh, cybersecurity summits. We have free cybersecurity conferences. We have free cyber events. And when I go to these events, is I'm just saddened of the community activity at these events. So we, if we are afraid, if we fearful, if we don't know what to do, all these resources are open to us, and we don't take advantage of that. So then when you do attend these conferences and these summits, then it gives you the positive side, but it also gives you um, tools and techniques to empower yourself so that you don't fall victim, your children don't fall victim to um any of these types of crimes. So when we talk about um, acts of terrorism, then, you know, that's on a higher level than just our community. You know, that's at a, a government level. And that is the reason that we need to fill this gap of the number of cyber jobs that's out there and the cyber professionals that need to fill them. But those cyber professionals need to realize that they are cybersecurity. And I believe when they change that mindset, then they can and will fill that gap of these jobs that, you know, the world says there's over 200,000 cyber jobs that are not filled. It sounds like if everybody who's listening to my show told another person who they know that may not be listening to show to, to listen to this episode. And they all said, I can prevent a problem by even just having different passwords that are more secure for different right. sites or right. running the updates on my computer that my little part is helping. Would that be something that every one of my listeners can just start doing today is go change their passwords and, and their router password from a default, will that begin to make a difference or not? Yes, that will begin to make a difference because then there will be a ripple effect. So when Stephanie changed her password and she sees how easy it is, 
then she tells Laura that Laura does it, and Laura has 20 contacts, Stephanie has 50 contacts. Now we have 72 people, and those 72 people all have five people. Then I'm not good with math, so I'm not going to say that number. But <laughs> it, it grows and grows and grows, and now we're cyber aware. And I think what we're lacking is the awareness of the things that we can do. We we look at a laptop and it's easy to use. I just turn it on. But when you talk about protecting, oh, well, I'm not technical. Oh, that stuff scares me. And so we do have um, books. I love to read. So we have books to educate the older generation that didn't grow up with computers on what they can do to keep themselves safe, to keep their children safe. And we have to become more cyber aware because the Internet of Things are growing. So by 2020, there will be over 2 trillion devices connected to the Internet. No, 20 trillion devices connected to the Internet. And so we have to know that the, the alert bracelet or necklaces that we have for our elderly parents, those are connected to the Internet. We have to know our heart monitors, those are connected to the Internet. So we're not just trying to protect, you know, our children or ourselves. We're trying to protect our elderly parents. We're trying to protect those that can't protect themselves. So we have to become more cyber aware. And all it takes is just one thing, like changing your password and tell everybody about it, going to a free event and telling everybody about it. And there are free events. Um, for children and the FBI as well as Homeland Defense, they have different tools for children at the kindergarten level, first grade level, the different programs that they can go on and be become more cyber aware and it teaches them at their level. So we have to really just research, read, become aware, and then get involved. Is there a website or something that my listeners can go to to start trying to find some of these resources? So you can start um, with the FBI. So if you Google um, FBI Children's Cyber Tools, then it will bring up the web page that will take you to the FBI site. Um, if you just Google um, um, child safety cyber tools or keywords like that, then different sites will come up. And so as, the FBI as, has it, Homeland Defense has it. If you have some some agency you never heard about, I wouldn't click on it because <laughs> even the, the hacker knows that. They know that you're trying to research to become more educated. So then they put stuff out there to get you again, to get you in that um, fear bubble so then you don't go to other places. All right, but so, I highly recommend the FBI. All right, so that's a good caution before we get close to the end of the show. Everybody, just because Google or your search engine pops up a link doesn't mean it's safe. So you do want right. to look exactly. at where it links to just to be safe. Stephanie, several people have, have emailed me and, and texted that they would like to know how to reach out to you to find out about other resources that might be available. Would you be willing to share how people can reach you? Yes. So I actually have two email addresses. Let's just give one. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Cyber Career Mentor, which is all one word, at gmail.com. 
is a good email address that someone could email me questions if they had it. Perfectly. Cyber, perfect. Cybercareermentor at gmail.com. And by the way, if you are in the cybersecurity field or are looking to go into it, um, Dr. Stephanie Carter really loves to mentor young professionals or existing professionals to help them further their careers and really move forward. She's just amazing at it. Stephanie, I want to thank you so much for being on the show with me today. Thank you, Laura. You know, when we listen to all the stuff that's going on with cybersecurity, most people, most of us, don't think that there's, if we just did one thing, it would improve things. Right. Right. And since your show is all about asking questions for the professionals out there, then ask yourself, why am I doing what I do? If you have no purpose, and you, then you can't have drive. And if you don't know why you do what you do, then you're not able to find the importance in what you do. I love that. So know why you do. So ask yourself, why am I doing what I do? I love that. Why is my favorite question as my listeners know. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Remember, the right questions can change your life. To it's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.